Hello there, and welcome to the Bright Side of the Sun podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, a writer and podcast host for BrightSideOfTheSun.com. I am joined, first of all, by Dave King, the editor-in-chief boss man. Uh, there are other words besides boss man, but I just, the, the overseer, the leader. Dave, how are you? Oh, pretty good. You can't call me the overlord, because that's still Seth. That's always going to be Seth. <laughs> Seth is always the overlord. Uh, one of the overlords of Sun's Twitter is with us. I don't really know how to intro Espo because like I just know him from Twitter so much and it's beyond that it's it's a bit much but former uh Suns Twitter manager, social media manager, I think Espo, what am I supposed to call you exactly? Digital manager washout washout has been <laughs> aka we got you about six months too late. Damn. You were way too nice with the names you gave Dave. I would have called him a lot worse. So <laughs> I'm impressed of- you went that way. He's my boss, even though I don't get paid. He's I was going like to say, I'm boss. not paying you shit. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, got to watch my language. Sorry yeah. about that. Oh, it's all right. Whatever. <laughs> it happens. I, I thought I was coming on Bright Side after dark, and then I heard you two guys. I was like, <laughs> oh, no. We cannot measure up to the snark that comes out of no. uh, Scott and Shrieker's voice and mouths. I'll tell They're you They're in another universe than us. That's a universe I want to be a part of, but I think you have to like get special access to it. That's uh, right. So, ever since the last couple of podcasts here, we wrapped up Summer League and talking about the rookies, and now we're transitioning into more of the offseason, and luckily, in terms of things to talk about, Amari retired, and a lot of the discussion already happened on Twitter, everyone got their general impressions out there, but the big talking point was that Amari decided to retire as a New York Nick, which angered a lot of people, I don't know if it angered a lot of people, but it just wasn't the right move, according to a lot of people, and while I do... I'll get my thoughts in in a second, but I, I do agree with the general sentiment that he should have retired a Phoenix Sun. Uh, let's start with you, Espo. What were your general thoughts on uh, the way Amari went about it? Well, first off, did Amari really retire? He's playing in uh, in Israel. He retired from the NBA. Dude, if you're playing in Israel, you are retired. Well, but well, let me ask this, though. Is it really retiring when, when you go play elsewhere and the reason you're not playing here is because nobody wanted you? Well, what I thought was so <laughs> funny is that First, it was his dream to retire as a Nick, and then it was his. He was told Coro it was his dream to retire as a Sun after getting paid for one more year on a on a full year contract. And then when he went over to Israel, it was his dream to play for Israel. He has a lot of dreams. A, a man is allowed to dream. Dreaming is free. But it it really bothered me not the fact that he retired as a Nick, but that he told the I bleed purple and orange storyline to Paul Coro and tried to paint the Suns as the bad guy. Now, let me be clear. I'm not on the payroll anymore, and the Suns have been the bad guy numerous times over the last handful of years. This was not one of those cases, okay? If if Amari really wanted to bleed purple and orange, he could have offered the same, sign me to a one-day ceremonial retire-as-a-son contract. But no, he wanted another year of playing. He wanted millions of dollars to be the basically weekend at Bernie's version of the NBA, a dead corpse on the end of the bench that really wasn't going to provide you with anything. There was no reason for this. Well, he might have made Marquise Chris look really good. He might have. He he, he might have. He, Jesus. But, Let's, let's tone it down here. Let's get a little positivity in the building. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no, no, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that Marquise is that Marquise Chris is is in some iterations. Some some people compare him to other players, but I mean he's basically going to be the closest thing we've had to Amari since Amari left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, 
with Omari not being able to really jump anymore, I think Marquise Chris would have looked like a high flyer. That's all I'm saying. I actually would have been okay with a one-year deal had Bender and Chris not be selected, and it was just like Dudley and Tucker there, and they needed a, a backup veteran or just minutes there, like uh, just some veteran. Oh, and even if it was only one, if it was one of Bender or Chris and yeah. not both. If one of them was selected, then I think it would have been you wouldn't have wanted to sign him anyway. The thing that the only thing that bothered me was it, it was kind of agent shenanigans a little bit because they were he was asked basically we didn't get a right answer on whether or not they asked the Suns for a one day, and then eventually a couple of days later, eventually when Amari had like the press conference and his agent and stuff, they did clarify that they did not ask for a one day from the Suns. They asked for a one year deal. And that's that's different to me. And it's clearly that Amari got his feelings hurt a bit from not having the one year from them. He thought he'd maybe earn that for whatever reason. But my point on Twitter was that this is Amari. He's always been a different guy. He's always um played to the beat of his own drum, what have you. And he's always just been unique like this. Uh the overlord, speaking of him, Seth, uh, agreed with me, and he was the one who really covered the team a lot uh, for Bright Side of the Sun. So, Espo, did so you didn't see him in a one-year deal here at all? Well, let me – I'll break this. I haven't really said this anywhere, but from what I heard, they didn't even ask for a one-year deal this year. It was something that they came with last year. I don't mm. – from, from what I understood, there wasn't really any attempt at contact this year uh, in any form, from what I heard. Now that could be that could be different. I heard that uh, you know a day before the official Knicks thing was announced, but that that's what I was hearing. So I, I agree with you. If maybe they hadn't drafted two power <clears throat> forwards in in the <clears throat> first eight picks of this year's draft, that you know let maybe bringing him in for a farewell tour might not have been a bad idea, but it, it didn't make sense. Now. I look at Amari, I don't let it taint what really he was here. I look at him and I feel like he's kind of the girlfriend or the significant other that you break up with and years later realize, okay, it wasn't as bad as I thought. I remember at the time we used to complain about Amari's defense, his lack of rebounding, even though he was getting eight plus rebounds a game and just found every little thing we could nitpick about his game in the time. And now over the last six years, we would have killed for a guy like Amari in his prime. He would have been everything we could have could have hoped for because it's been such a dark six years uh, since the, that Amari era. Yeah, Dave, your thoughts on Amari and just in general his legacy with the franchise? Yeah, I think uh, – hmm, how, how do I want to put this? I think Amari went out on top with the Suns, and I don't mind him staying – out on top of the Suns. I'd much rather be able to look back at him and say, God, he was, you know, and think of him in a Suns uniform as one of the very best players in the entire league. And uh, if he'd have played the last few years, all we'd be talking about is how broken down he is and how he's not really worth the minutes and all this. And, and one flash every, you know, every game uh, just isn't good and good enough when, when the rest of the time he's just standing there like a log. So, um, I'm okay with the Suns not bringing him back. Now, he's never he never would have been a mentor. I think a couple of people uh, have commented that, gosh, he would have been a nice mentor for the young guys. No, Amari was never about mentoring. He was never about leading. He was about being Amari. And so bringing him in would have just been 
bringing in somebody who wanted his minutes and, and uh, you know, would have been pushing for those. And that's not what the Suns needed at all. So I'm glad they didn't sign him. And good on the Suns for doing that and not grabbing what would have been a nice story. And, of course, Barbosa's back, Dudley's back. And those aren't those moves aren't necessarily like a the type of signing we're talking about with Amari where they're just grabbing them for the for the reminiscing. It's actually like they're getting productive basketball players in Barbosa and Dudley. For Amari, for me, is very special to me. I tweeted this out. Um, I'm just rehashing all my tweets, so if you follow me on Twitter, this is useless hearing this. <laughs> You're just reading your timeline? Is that yeah, it? seriously. But basically, I mean, I went to a lot of games with my dad. I was lucky enough to have my dad have season tickets sharing with other people throughout the 2000s, so I saw a lot of that. those teams. And he was just a really special basketball player to me. I remember the first time me and my dad saw him after his knee surgery, we just like shook our heads because we knew that like his insane athleticism was somewhat tarnished a little bit. And while he's still had like the Anthony Tolliver dunk and he still had that explosion. He was never going to be the same player and he broke down pretty quickly. I mean, is uh, Espo, you're a, you're a pretty big uh, overall sports fan in Arizona and so is Dave. Is that 37 and 10 against the Spurs in the Western Conference Finals that he averaged like one of the best postseason performances in the state's history? Oh, easily. It's up there with uh, Larry Fitzgerald in their Super Bowl run. That's number one, but Amari against the Spurs was probably... Uh, in that in that top three discussion, especially you put in that uh, block against Tim Duncan as well, and that was just one of those all time great moments. I think Barkley against the Warriors in '94 in that first round that was where he had 55 or 56 points in, in a game and a, a triple double and a different one that was a great one as well. But Amari Amari was pretty amazing in that series. Mm-hmm. He averaged 29 and 10 in the postseason of that year, uh, 29 points and 10 rebounds. And the only guys to average that over the course of at least 15 playoff games Shaquille O'Neal, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Hakeem Olajuwon, LeBron James, and Carl Malone. Those are pretty good players. And Amari did it when he was, I believe, 22, 23. So he wasn't even in his prime yet. All those guys did that when they were in their prime. So it's scary to think about the player that he could have been, and he really could have been like the best player in franchise history. I honestly believe that if he would have been able to stay healthy, even just in those in those years, and then when he would have left to New York, it still I think would have held up. Uh, let's transition though into a conversation that's come up now uh, since he has retired, and also uh, Sean Marion currently is on an NBA team. Who do you guys see as the potential next Ring of Honor member? Al McCoy is also uh, a candidate as well, uh, but. Let's go to you, Dave. Uh, Marion or Amari, or do you want to shout out another name there for who you think should get inducted next? No, I think you've got the you've got the three guys right there. So um, Al McCoy is always just a nice, hard pill. It should be nice to do because I think he's going to end up um, sitting in that chair until he can no longer sit anywhere anymore. And I really think uh, so. The Suns are better not wait for him to retire before they put him in the Ring of Honor. Um, however, in the more immediate term. Um, I do think that uh, you you have to put in Sean Marion ahead of Amari Stoudemire because Marion's been retired for uh, you know a full year now, and he had a longer career, I believe, with the Suns. Um, I'm almost yeah, I'm, I'm certain because he got re- he got drafted two or three years prior to Amari, uh, and he yeah. just got traded like, like a year before Amari left. So uh, definitely, Sean Marion had a longer and more impactful, I think, overall career with the Suns, he just wasn't as exciting to watch, uh, but to to the casual fan, but certainly to me, he was my favorite. 
Look, this this was a battle I fought from the inside. Al McCoy is the next guy that needs to go into the Ring of Honor. It was a five-year fight and, and argument that I had while working there, and I still believe it. He needs to go in before any other person enters that Ring of Honor because he is the one guy, uh, sans Jerry Colangelo, uh, and, and even more so now because he's been there uh, almost as long, that is synonymous with Phoenix Suns. When you think Phoenix Suns, he was basically the soundtrack for every great moment that that we've had as Phoenix Suns fans. And as a kid whose parents were too cheap to buy cable, Al was the guy that I listened to for every home game through those games in the 90s. And he deserves to be there. But after that, it is Sean Marion. You're completely right. Uh, Dave, and I can't believe I actually said that phrase. I told myself I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> you shouldn't have said that now, man. But, uh, but you no, are, I'm never going to let you forget that. You're right, because Marion has si- played the six most games in Suns history, second most in minutes played, third most in field goals. He was third, has the third best field or third most field goal attempts, the fourth best, uh, most two point field goal attempts. Uh, he, had the fourth most three-point field goals in Suns history. (laughs) Shooting from the hip. It's crazy how many uh, areas he ranks so high in when it comes to to the Suns. I mean, offensive rebounds, second most only to Alvin Adams. Defensive rebounds, he's first. He has the most defensive rebounds in Suns history. Uh, It's just he deserves... To be there, he is all over the Suns' record books. Uh, second most in steals, which that one continually surprises me when I see that. It's just he is a guy that deserves to be there, and I fear won't get in. I fear you know, it's interesting. So we were talking about Amari, and let me just throw this out: you and uh, Kellen, you mentioned the twenty-nine and ten that he averaged in his very first. Uh, uh, was it his first? Yeah, but is it, it that playoff series in uh, 04, 05, his second playoff series. Yeah. Uh, and then, but then two years later, after he had the whole microfracture and uh, uh, was recovering and just wasn't quite the same player, he still put up 25 and 12 mm-hmm. in 07 in the playoffs. And then 23 and 9 in 08, in the, and that was only uh, over five games. Uh, we won't talk about that one anymore. Uh, but then uh, he, he did still, even at 27 years old, as he was approaching his his need for probably more surgery on the on the knee, the I don't think he ever got, but he probably needed it. Uh, he was still doing 22 and 6.6 in that um, nine in that 2010 playoff run. And but that sounds awesome, right? But how about Sean Marion? Sean Marion had um, at least uh, 10.4 rebounds per game in four consecutive playoff series and uh, plus uh, 8.3 and 8.8 in his first two playoff series. The guy was money, and he was our best defensive player throughout his entire career. Uh, He could guard anybody from a point guard all the way up to a a small center, and uh, he just did everything. And while he was a little petulant, while he was a little bit too quick to remind us that he does everything and he makes everyone else look good, um, he really was. And uh, he definitely deserves to be in the Ring of Honor Ring of Honor, way before Amari does. Yeah, I just think Amari's in the wrong race because he's one of the best overall players to ever play for the franchise. But 
like uh, Espo said, with all those stats, Marion has been such a consistent part of the franchise. I mean, just looking at the stats, from his second year in the league until he left the Suns, his averages were 17 11, 19 10, 21 10, 19 9, 19 11, 22 and 12, 18 and 10, 14 and 11. Like he was a monster in Phoenix consistently. And that's, that shows with the stats that Espo mentioned because it's not like this guy played 17 years with the franchise and just got high on all those rankings just because he was there the longest. No, he was a complete player, and he was awesome to watch. But I agree that McCoy is just the voice of the Suns. That's all he is. Um, Even me being the millennial of the group here, um, I can agree, and I still grew up on Al McCoy uh, listening to him call games just like everyone else has. And I I agree that he should be the first guy in, and I think Marion should make it. We all think Amari should make the Ring of Honor, though, right? That's Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he absolutely should, and it's going to be nice to see Marion and Amari and Nash all in the Ring of Honor together now, and that seven seconds or less team will really leave an honor there. Uh, Espo, before we go here, let's get your general thoughts on the team, because like you said, you were somewhat censored uh, with your job. It's kind of hard not to be, uh, because you are so closely affiliated with the team that sometimes you couldn't let your true uh, opinions get out on the team. So what are your thoughts heading into next season? Are you optimistic? What would you say? Uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm optimistically pessimistic or pessimistically optimistic about this upcoming year. I think it's not going to be one filled with, you know, 45 or 50 wins and a, and a playoff berth. I don't think that'll be the case, but I think we're going to see a lot of growth and reasons to be excited for the future, which is something we haven't had in a very long time here. We had a little false hope in 13-14 with, uh, you know, with Gorin and Eric Bledsoe in the backcourt and that first year under Hornacek. But I think we're going to see legitimate hope come back this year. And that is exciting to me. And it's with young players. We haven't had that since it was a young Amari and a young Marion and a young Joe Johnson where you saw, okay, these are potentially building blocks to something we actually want to see moving forward. And I think the Suns finally have that. And I think we'll probably see Eric Bledsoe have an all-star caliber year. Finally, he's been on the verge of it. He was there last year before getting injured. I think he'll come through big this year, but I think we're probably looking at a 35 win team at best, but I'm all right with that as long as they're entertaining and we're seeing progress for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think actually uh, it's, it's quite interesting for me because the Suns finally have the youth and they actually uh, sped up their rebuild uh, just a little bit because they, they got two top eight picks this year. Uh, so I really do think that the Suns are going in the right direction. It doesn't even matter to me how many wins they have. If the Suns actually win, okay, the worst case scenario is the Suns win 40 games riding on the backs of Jared Dudley, Tyson Chandler, and P.J. Tucker front line. Now, if those guys are playing 30-plus minutes a game and the Suns are barely winning 40 and they miss the playoffs and it's a late lotto pick, uh, that's like the worst thing that could happen. But you're still adding a late lotto pick in an historically good draft to a really good core of guys, um, uh, young guys, who, who that person could join. Um, so even that is not as bad as the worst-case scenario in the last couple of years. 
I think uh, best case scenario is what Watson, what Coach Watson even says he wants to do, which is basically you've got to play the young guys. And what happens, happens. And if it's 15 wins, it's 15 wins. And if it's 30 or 40, it's 30 or 40. And if they surprise some people, as long as those young guys have roles on the team, that's great. Uh, so I'm not going into this season thinking, oh, my God, we can't get on the treadmill again. I'm okay with 40 wins. I'm okay with 30 wins. I'm okay with 15, whatever it is. I just want to see the young guys play and earn their minutes. I don't want people handed minutes just because uh, they're on the team. Uh, either way, either from veterans or kids, I want everyone to earn their minutes, and I want us all to you know, pretty much agree to it, although we'll never 100% agree to it. Um, I want us to pretty much go, yep, this is the way I thought this season would play out. Well, and you bring up a guy that in Earl Watson that is, is the right guy for this situation. And I'll be the first to admit, I think Jeff Hornacek got a raw deal. I, don't, yes. I think he got saddled by unfair expectations from a fluke season to begin with in his first year, then got saddled with the, the conundrum of how do you make three point guards work and feed all their egos, and then had to deal with, with Markeith Morris's mess last year. So he never really got a fair shake. But that, with that situation having played out the way it is, I think it worked out as well as it could for both parties, Jeff getting a fresh start in New York. But the Suns getting Earl Watson, a guy that I think is the right kind of guy for a youth movement. He's got a plan in place, a vision for how to do it, and he has kind of a collegiate mindset, which is good for a bunch of guys that are teenagers. You have to have that, get them to buy into the program, and you add in a guy like a Jared Dudley, Leandro Barbosa, guys that will buy into that program as well. I like. Yeah, that. it's interesting what you say. I'm sorry, Kellen, uh, but it, it is interesting what you say about Watson and the raw deal that Hornacek got. And I, I do agree. I think Hornacek was a, was a fine coach. I think he was a nice guy. I think he cared about his players. But what Earl Watson does bring to the table is he, he gets right in your face and requires commitment. And Hornacek didn't do that. Hornacek just wanted you to be committed, and then he would support you and, and put you in a role you could succeed. Um, I think uh, with Watson and – and uh, with Devin Booker a year ago, um, I don't know uh, how to put this any better than the Suns got really lucky. I really think Watson just fell in their laps. He was on the on the uh, um, on the bench there, looking for you know an opportunity, and he took it and ran with it. And the Suns just happened upon you know a gem there. And I really think the same of Booker. I think the Suns were going to draft a power forward if they could have, but they all got taken right before Booker and. So they took Booker, and so you know sometimes you need a little bit of luck. And this franchise, as far as bringing in players and coaches, has not had a lot of luck recently. So you know eventually that can change, and I think it might have here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll save my thoughts for later because we are going to have a lot later coming for season preview uh, season and such. That is quite a while away, though. But as you can tell, this team is fun to talk about, and it's going to be hopefully fun to talk about. Uh, through the rest of next season. I want to thank uh, Greg Esposito for joining us here on the Bright Side of the Sun podcast. We will have a couple more summer things for you. Uh, I'm looking to bring in uh, Chris Reichert of Upside Motor, who is basically the Adrian Wojnarowski of the D-League, and we're going to talk about the Northern Arizona Suns and their new head coach, Mr. Ellis, and see what it's all about because it's obviously a new relationship with the team in Prescott Valley. Hope you guys are looking forward to that, and we will have more season preview stuff coming after that. We will see you then. Goodbye.